and we danced all night to the best song ever. I think it went, oh, oh, oh. I think it went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it goes. <laughs> well, that's our dear friends and GPS mega fans, One Direction. And if it's what I recall, after dancing with a raven-haired girl named Vanessa at a teen dance night in the upstairs room at the Mount Airy Lodge, then this must be Dale Radio. And I, of course, am your host, Dale Seaver, and you're listening to another episode of Some Things I Enjoy, coming to you, as always, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. And oh, oh my, today, folks, once again, in fact, I find myself at the ultra-hip Manhattan Lodging Facilities, the Ace Hotel, literally on the floor here, aren't we? And uh, home of shared bathrooms and heavy wool military blankets as fashion statements. Hey, if you're wondering where all the gray paint went, it's here. <laughs> oh my, well thanks to everyone who came out to the season premiere at Union Hall. Uh, we had a terrific time. Or we will, I should tell you. I'm trying to do a little conjuring here, ladies and gentlemen. A little podcasting magic, as I'm recording this before the actual season premiere. But I know we're going to have a good time. <laughs> but I had to take advantage of a great opportunity to talk to my guest today. She just had a book come out, and we're going to talk about it. It's the best things to do in Los Angeles. And uh, folks, uh, please welcome with your ears the generous, the gracious, the curious, my friend Joy Yoon. Joy, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. How about that? Well, thanks for having me up to the room. It's always nice to come up here and see how see how things are going for the traveling set, the jet setters. Do you consider yourself a jet setter? No. <laughs> but you've made this a nice little home for yourself. That's what hobos do. <laughs> well, it's great to see you. Welcome back to New York. What brings you to town? Food. Food. What, you just heard about a new uh, place opening up? You wanted to check it out? No, the food in Holland, where I live now, is awful, so I came back for some <laughs> real food. <laughs> you, weren't, you didn't just hear about the cronut and wanted to get in line. Uh, I did hear about the cronut and the crookie and the crullant. Oh, it's out of control, isn't it? Uh, but I'm um, not interested. <laughs> no, you don't want to try. You I don't rather... want to wait in the line or you don't want to try that as a food product? Um... A bit of both. Mm -hmm. I'd rather go eat a chili dog off the corner from a street vendor than a cronut. But Not a krilly dog. I might put try it, it when Put it on a croissant. <laughs> I'll ah, that. That's next. Well, it's a, it's a craze. It's, has it reached Holland yet? No. It has in Dutch news, but uh, nobody's really interested in eating it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, you know, we got bikes here now, too. I saw that. It's a lot like Holland. Not really. No? Don't they have bikes over there? Well, they do have bikes over there, but the bike is the king of the road, whereas a taxi oh, is still the king of the road here. I see. And they just they just leave the bikes, right? It's not this. It's not like owned by a credit card company. Yeah. You can just pick up a bike and go. Yeah, you can just buy one from a junkie for ten bucks and go. <laughs> That's what you got to be careful about. What kind of bike do you have? I have a very beat up old Dutch bike used. I think it's called the Gazelle. As well, it should be. Yeah, it doesn't go very fast. So. <laughs> you got three speeds, ten speeds, fifteen. <laughs> Just joy speed. <laughs> well, I think that's a pretty good speed to go. Well, uh, you know, are you doing anything for Fashion Week at all? No, Fashion Week for me is Food Week. So while everybody looks at clothes, I'm eating food. <laughs> and what are, what are you seeking out here? What are you finding? A lot of fried chicken. Yeah, <laughs> is that one of the things that you miss? Yes. 
Really, you can't get good fried chicken in Holland. There's fried chicken, but it's not like not American like here. fried chicken, yeah. Go to and that rooster place. And Korean place. food. Oh, and Korean food, of course, is very delicious. What rooster place? There's the, the Red Rooster or something up there. Oh, I don't like that restaurant. Oh, my goodness, well. <laughs> I had a really bad experience there. I don't think I'll ever go back. Really? Were well, service-related or food-related? Both. Well, then. Yeah. Well, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Were you up there visiting the, the Maisels? Uh, I was actually visiting the Maisels and afterwards had um, a lunch with uh, Albert's son and uh, the coordinator and then a good friend of mine and who knows... I guess one of the managers at the Red Booster, we mm -hmm. went there, sat down. You don't have to go through the whole thing. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't want you to know, go. ate and uh, left. <laughs> Never went back. <laughs> oh, well. Well, we'll come back to some of that in a little bit. But uh, my, that's, uh, I'm sorry to hear that you had a bad experience. Sorry to bring that up. I don't want to, uh, you know. I know, it's okay. Bring it, up was, the bad it, vibes. Was one of the, it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had in uh, a dining place but also the most memorable because it was so hilarious oh no you know that guy's opened up a place in the airport good for him i had this <laughs> meatballs over there I had meatballs <laughs> swedish meatballs yeah he's, he's swedish isn't he I, I believe so adopted and i went i it was like being in ikea was it? Yes. Was there horse meat in there it? There wasn't horse meat in it. Well, Are not to sure? my knowledge. Are you sure? Not to horse my knowledge. Horse meat makes it taste better. That horse can make a flight go quicker, can it? <laughs> Get some horse meat and meatballs in there. So, uh, well, and, to, and the book is, we. how's the book going? Good? The book, yeah. What did I do with my copy? We hit it under a pillow. Oh, we put it under a pillow. The best things to do in Los Angeles, a thousand and one ideas. Yes. It's going well. It is. Well, I thought I'd offer you uh, uh, some things, uh, a thousand and one things to do in the Gowanus. Okay. There aren't that many. I just heard about the Gowanus this weekend. I'd never heard of it before. You've never heard about it? Even it's before in coming on? Well, but you're talking, you're on now the Gowanus Canal's premier arts and culture podcast. I know, but like where it is located? Yeah, in the hearts and minds of everybody. Of souls everywhere, but, of the dreamers. I've never actually seen it. Have you still not seen it? I saw it from a distance. Somebody went, that's oh, Gowanus. <laughs> I was down there the other day. The tide was coming in, some nice things floating. Some skimmers on the top, as we like to call them, little mm. rainbow catchers. Yeah. My gosh, it's beautiful. I took a boat down there, you know. I will Google image it later. <laughs> or you can listen to all 120-some episodes of this podcast. You get a nice I sense of it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't advise that for anybody. Now, you stay in the Ace Hotel every time you uh, travel? No, I don't. Just this time? Yes. I like the one out there in Portland. I've sat on a couch in the lobby in the one in Portland. Does that yeah, count? It does. Okay. As far as I know, that's a, it, essentially the experience. Only they have fish for breakfast. Oh. Like uh, white fish. They never let me eat there. <laughs> well, you got to go up to this couple, the floor. It's like a fourth floor little closet. And like guy's dealing out fish. I'm sure you need a key to get up there. We should do a book together. About white fish? Well, just about fun things to do when you travel. And we'll go around and we'll, all the secrets to the places. We should. For instance, they have a nice restroom here, but We're it's We're copywriting this right now. Nobody <laughs> steal this who's listening on this podcast. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to it. Now, you're married. I am. That happened since the last time I saw you. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. And, and, and then how quickly did you move to Holland? Was he from there? No, he was actually from the UK. Oh, um, so not too far. No, not too far. Not for him. Bye. By American standards. Not too far for him, an hour flight. Yeah. 
but for me. And what what brought you to Holland? Uh, he got a job offer there, and he asked me if I would move over, and I said yes. Well, that's a, that's a perfectly clean way to do it. That's right. It was, Isn't it? It was quick. Because now, what what are you doing professionally? I'm still writing. Um, did the did the book. Um, still writing with magazines and different publications. Uh, doing some creative consulting, copywriting. Pretty much anything that requires putting writing. it together. Yeah. But you don't need to be anywhere to do what you're doing. No. That's Isn't so that great. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That's what's great about uh, my job. So if he has to move, then I can move with him, kind of thing. And just you don't have to say exactly where. Well, what generally does he do? He works for a shoe company and makes pretty shoes. Oh, he so works for Converse. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking around trying to figure it out. It's at least two pairs that I see mm-hmm. there. Well, that's you know I designed my own pair of shoes. Do you? That had my picture on it. And really, only only one of them sold. Who bought it? Your mom. <laughs> It was a family member, but uh, boy, they look good, and it always it prompts a lot of questions. Oh, can I put in so, an order? You know what you ought to do is a Gowanus edition. Ooh. I'm telling you. Well, I'll send him a note. You can leave him a note right here on the bed. <laughs> I'll do that. Or on a guitar case. Is anything in that? Uh, it's a refrigerator. I, I, oh, it's a refrigerator. I guess it's not a guitar. It's a sound uh, you know, backstage kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. A roadie case. Roadie yep. case? It's a roadie case. All right, so let's just back up. Let's set the stage. Because I met you, I was doing some volunteer work at a nonprofit museum out there in Los Angeles, handing out flyers for them and whatnot. And uh, we exchanged uh, uh, correspondences from time to time, I'd say. Yes. But I, I, don't, I, I would not say that I know you very well. And I would say the same about you. <laughs> I think that's true. So uh, I wanted to ask you some questions just about your life. And, and I wanted to, to start... By just asking you, uh, being prompted by a couple of pictures okay. that I know that I saw of you, and there, because many times there'll be a picture of you with food, mm-hmm. there'll be a picture of you with a famous person, mm-hmm. or there'll be a picture of you with somebody who's probably famous, but I don't know who they are because they're involved in something like sneaker design, which I have no real. I probably uh, don't know them either. I just wanted to be like, hey, just take there. a photo with me. Grab a picture. All right, so uh, I'm going to start with two uh, pictures, and maybe just talk about how you ended up in that ended up there. Uh, two pictures I wanted to start with, and, and uh, maybe we can reveal a little bit of your life journey through this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, 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 this is just like couples therapy. Are, sort we, of. are we a couple? I don't think so. Well, I mean, no. Because uh, uh, so, we're going to be sharing things. That's what I meant. Okay. So there's a photo of you, and uh, uh, you ever go to couples therapy? No. No? Boy, I did. It was... Uh, Marvelous. Okay, so a photo of you, and I hope you don't have to. Sometimes it's okay to go if you go, you're not like it's headed for a bad place. You could be going there to make it a good, okay. So there's a photo of you uh, with Julia Child. Yes. And then there's a photo of you with a tuna salesman. I think it's a tuna salesman, I could be wrong. Yes. Uh, 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 At a fish market. Yes. So let's talk about just those two images, how those things came to be. Because you have a history in food. Yes. Um... When I got out of high school, I was heading to UCLA to go to school to study medicine. And you grew up near Los Angeles? I grew up born and raised in Los Angeles. In Los Angeles proper? Proper. And uh, had a change of heart and decided not to go. And my dad was furious, so he disowned me. 
so it was a, a rocky period in in my life. And that's still today? You don't talk? No, we do talk now. Okay. He's more accepting to the idea that I didn't go into medicine, but just put a few drinks in him, and all of a sudden it's like, Joy, it's not too late. Come on. I'm like, no, no, come on. He's still holding out. He's still holding out, like, won't let go. Um, but I found myself going to junior college and, and studying, and I stumbled upon the Santa Monica Farmer's Market. And I actually don't know how the transition came from me being in front of the stall to being behind the stall, but I ended up working for Coleman Family Farms. That's a, that's a big purveyor of uh, yeah, they, organic quality uh, yes. foods. Um, one of the best in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. Um, they sell to everybody from Spago to what was Campanile to uh, Matza, all the best restaurants. And um, I decided I was going to go to New York because everybody talks about New York. Sure. And I was introduced to Danielle Boulud. Now, how does that happen there? Just you get you don't get to New York I'm, and then that yeah, happens. Yeah, I met a f- crazy filmmaker that actually followed Danielle around at one point and was trying to make a documentary. So he introduced me to the chef at the French consulate in D.C. who then introduced me to Danielle Blue. It's a crazy story. <laughs> but, like, they were trying to uh, set up all these things with email emails and phone calls and stuff and I got to New York and I hadn't really heard from Danielle and I'm like you know what I'm here I was in front of his restaurant I had a backpack on I looked like a scummy little scummy little student and I walked into the restaurant and asked for him and they told me to sit and wait so I waited and I waited and he saw me but he was dealing with um, customers and I waited and I waited and and like an hour later he comes up to me and he goes I'm sorry, but we don't have any openings. So, you know, we don't have any job applications. So maybe if you want to come back another time. And I was like, "Um, I'm not here for a job application. Actually, so-and-so told me to come see you. He had been emailing you about me. And then he goes, oh. So he was dismissing me Uh, as somebody that wanted to be like a dishwasher. Right. To giving me a tour of the restaurant and everything and inviting me for dinner. And we became friends that way he actually became my mentor and almost like a a father to me and um, throughout my whole food career food life he's always been really adamant about me learning more sending me books Um, he's allowed me to cook in his kitchen um, and all those things and one one day he tells me that it um, that I should go meet Julia Child and I go I don't know her so okay, but okay, before we get to Julia, so you're 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 selling you're selling the vegetables. You're, you, you, yes, that's what that was your uh-huh. relationship in the market. Yeah, and then you get to New York and you have this thing with it. And what's the you're cooking back there? And had you had, do you have a natural ability at cooking? I've been cooking since I was a kid, and I love it. Uh, I don't really follow recipes, but I do it every day. Just instinctual. Yeah, and also I spent time in his kitchen, a little bit of time in uh, La Bernadette's kitchen, a little bit of time in John George's kitchen, not like totally immersing myself and mm-hmm. doing all that, but learning, reading, um, doing some in Los Angeles and other kitchens as well. Um, and I've been very fortunate because a lot of chefs have been very open to me just coming in and just learning how to cook. So I've had a bit of formal training, mm-hmm. and 
Yeah. I've just yeah, I've been yeah. very lucky that way. Oh, no, that's terrific. It's great. And you have like a signature thing that you make? No. <laughs> I'm good. That's probably good. I, I, at one point, I was working for a restaurant in Beverly Hills called Chadwick, and it was owned by Ben Ford, who's Harrison Ford's son, and Govan Armstrong. And um, I actually did a lot of cooking at that restaurant. Mm -hmm. And for the longest time, I was making pasta that they would serve on the menu. So for a while, pasta was like my signature You were the thing. pasta queen of yeah. Chadwick. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a lot of fun. That's, and so, okay, so sorry to interrupt you, but I, I want to understand what's happening. And so um, he says, I'd like you to meet Yeah, he said that Julia Chad. anybody that loves food, and especially you, you should know Julia Child. I'm going to set it up. So he had white asparagus shipped from Holland to my house in Los Angeles. Uh, arranged it like he put me in touch with uh, Julia Child and her assist, longtime assistant Stephanie, and uh, I drove up there. And that's she was in Santa Barbara. She was in Santa Barbara. And uh, at what uh, what good health at that point? She was. She still was in good health. Yeah, she was in good health, but she had a little bit of difficulty walking, getting around. Um, it was. Um, she had to have surgery a bit later on. Mm -hmm. I think for her knee and her hip. She's a, a tall drink of water. She is. She's about six. I think in her heyday, she was about six two. It's pretty good size for a gal. Still tall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I saw her, she was so sassy. I think the first time I saw her, I actually took my younger sister with me, and we went to go pick her up, and she loved the asparagus, and she was just, took it out of the box, and was touching it, and like, oh, this is going to taste so good, and gave us a little tour of her, of her small apartment, um, which was amazing. It was just like a miniature version of what I thought her apartment, like her kitchen at the Smithsonian would be like, all the <sighs> copper pots and pans on the wall, and... You could just imagine her cooking in there. I'm sure she she didn't at the time, not really, but mm -hmm. you could just picture her there, like dropping something on the floor and accidentally, like just dusting <laughs> it off before serving it to somebody. Putting it back in there. Yeah, <laughs> she was really sassy. The one thing we remember. What are you? What are you okay, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> How was she sassy? She was just so sassy. She doesn't have. Um, she doesn't think about what she says. Really, she just it just comes out. So. She she had one of those um, kind of like a pushing, walking... Um, like a walker? Like a walker, but mm -hmm. it has that seat on it so you can sit on it. Oh, yeah. So we're trying to put it into the car, but we can't really get the seat up. <sighs> so she manages to get it up, and she goes, I don't really sit on this anyway. She chucks it into the bushes. <laughs> and my little sister's like, oh, my God, Julia Child's seat. <laughs> so she's running into the bushes to retrieve it. We pack her up and put it in there. And then we go to the pier to go eat at one of her favorite restaurants. And uh, we sit down and we're having like crab louie and all that stuff. She's just talking about um, it needs more dressing and she just loves crab. And uh, we're buttering our bread. And she goes, oh, no, no, you need so much more butter than that. <laughs> butter makes everything better. <laughs> and um, then she proceeded to ask about my personal life. Do you have a boyfriend? I'm like, why don't you have a boyfriend? I don't know. Do you want one? And I go, I guess so. Well, that waiter over there is kind of cute. Do you want me to ask him for his phone number? And I'm like, what? And my sister at that point had like nearly tipped out of her chair with laughter. 
And she's like, look at him. He knows how to flambe a banana's foster. And I was just like... That's all you need. I'm okay, really. (laughs) (laughs) But she, you could see in her face that she was totally taking the piss out of you. (laughs) And that was amazing. Yeah. And she was always like that. I, I went to visit her... Does your husband know how to flambe anything? Her husband? Oh, my husband? Yours. Um, Did you keep that as a criteria? I've actually never asked him to flambe anything. Oh, well, try it. I will. I'll do it. Can you imagine? Let me know. Dale told me that you need to flambe this, or we are going to couples therapy now. So, I'm sorry, you were going to say something about her. Something. You were saying something else. Oh, no, I just... um, I kept in touch with her for years after that, till she passed. And the, the photo of you, is, she's, she's quite, I think she's ill, maybe? She is in the hospital. She had just gotten her knee surgery. Oh, okay. And I had um, just come back from New York, and I had smuggled in some uh, spicy soppressata from <laughs> DiPaolo's on Grand and Mott, which is my favorite, favorite cheese store in the whole world. Uh-huh. And I smuggled it in there. To the hospital because she wasn't allowed to have that kind of stuff and she was so happy. She's like squeezing, squeezing the soppressata to make sure that, oh, this is nice. Like, you know, smelling it. She's like, Get, and let's wrap it up and put it over here. I'll, I'm going to eat it later. And she had gotten her hair done. So, you know, she had the person from the beauty salon come and do her hair because even though she was in the hospital, she still wanted to look nice. Sure. Well, my grandmother was like that. Yeah. Getting your hair done was a, a you, no matter important. what stage of physical... You know, whatever state you were in, whatever mental state, you you went and got that every week. Yeah. Or every couple of days, whatever it was. I don't know what happened in between. <laughs> I didn't ask. It always looked perfect, though. Yes. Always looked perfect. So she looked lovely. Well, that's that's, that's so wonderful that you had a chance to become close with her. And, yeah. And, uh, my goodness, to bring her spicy treats. You have to. And make her happy. Because either that or tacos. And I, I think they would have smelled the tacos right away. She liked a place in Santa Barbara, though, right? That had tacos? Yeah. I think I went there, but I'm not sure. I, I tried, I tried to seek it out. Did you, did, you, did you watch the movie? Do you think that movie was okay? Which movie is that? The, the Julie and Julia thing? I didn't really like that movie very no. much. Do you, uh, did you like the portrayal of her? Leaving aside uh, all, some of the criticism. Of the, I, did, uh, yeah, of the Meryl, modern day I think Meryl Streep did a great job with her. It's amazing, right? Yeah. She's one I could watch over and over and over. Just just because she's so... It's amazing. I, yeah, Disappears I, into the character. I wish I could do that. <laughs> You're doing a bloody good job right now. So now what, what about the tuna salesman? The tuna salesman. It's a more recent photo, or yes, it is. Yeah. I went to um, I went to Japan. I hadn't been there since I was in my, I guess, late teens, early twenties. I'd lived out in Fukushima for a bit um, with my best friend's family, and just spent months there, learning Japanese, teaching Japanese, and just enjoying myself. And um, so I went back a few years ago, and I really wanted to go to Tsukiji Fish Market. And my friend Patrice uh, Martineau, who used to be a chef at Danielle Balud's, uh, at Danielle, uh, was there and he was a chef at the Peninsula. And he was like, well, if you want to go to the tuna auction, I can get us in. And I was like, oh gosh, I, you know, I'd love to. So I went in. And, and that's I, where they have the, the best fish and everybody oil. comes yep. and, and bids for that thing. And it can be quite expensive. It's very expensive. And they all, also the way that they they pick the tuna is very interesting because they have the tail end cut. 
so they can dig out a little piece of the meat and rub it between their fingers and check the viscosity and check the smell and all those things and once the auction starts it's a it's a language that that only the fish buyers know like an auction here yeah it's a specialized kind of a thing so um, I was standing walking around and this uh, fish buyer comes up to me and he wants to take a photo with me and then he takes his hat off and puts it on my head <laughs> and um, Patrice is a bit gobsmacked actually all the uh, tuna, tuna buyers are kind of laughing at him and he was like in all my years I've been here I have never seen um, the tuna buyers really interact with any journalists or even get that close to put his hat on your head and I'm like well not a lot of journalists are wearing these shorts <laughs> you, you gotta use what God, God gave you that's right <laughs> I actually that's wanted... how I land a lot of interviews <laughs> oh wow <laughs> show up in my short shorts or just send a little pick along. that's how you got me it was a pick <laughs> That's right. I'll text a little something mm -hmm. and say, why don't we meet in your hotel room? That's how most of these go. <laughs> and now we're on the floor. <laughs> I know. My foot is falling asleep. But that, <laughs> So, uh, and did, were you able to, to do all that too? Or you're not, you, you were not allowed to touch the fish? I didn't want to touch it. <laughs> Fair enough. I probably wouldn't want to either. I don't think I don't actually think that you're allowed to unless you're um, you're an official a buyer person, and uh -huh. you, it takes a long time to actually. Do you know how much the fish that was in there sold for? I have no idea. I'm sure it De went for. Money. I will estimate that it was maybe half a million to a million dollars that that that's morning. A, that's a decent thing for the a fish. lot of fish. And what, that's the same area with the with the issues now with the power plant and the, all that. Uh, Tsukiji is, um, is down safe? south. Is that okay from there? Or the whole thing is messed up because who knows how much up. is coming out? Yeah, nobody knows. God, um, that's a mess. But it's not like it was that great before because all of trawl fishing and overfishing and farm fishing yeah. and runoff from every other place. I mean, it's water. Yeah. Water travels. So it could be, it could have been from anywhere. Do you ever go out to see those big trash gyres that are out there in the. Have you seen that? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Whew. That's bad news, isn't that? Yeah. Well, Terrifying. You know, Kevin Costner. What does it look like? It looks Kevin, like an island? Kevin Costner predicted all that stuff with Waterworld. He, water world, he did. Saying. He did, didn't he? Yes, he did. That's it. It's just, We're going to all have to start learning how to drink look. our pee. <laughs> Get used that's, to it. Bear Grylls does it on TV. Well, We're going to have to start doing it that in and, real and life. insects, probably, right? Oh, I've eaten insects. insects I, I have, too. I've had a cricket taco. Yummy. It's okay. Yeah, they're it good. It was just crunchy. It's a little dirt. Tasted like crunchy dirt a little bit. Crunchy dirt? It didn't taste like, like toasted nuts a bit? Ah, I guess it had some of that quality to it. I had to put a little sauce on it. Were they New York crickets? Texas. Texas crickets? Yeah. They probably gave you cockroaches. Ah! <laughs> Why would you say such a thing? Well, that's terrible. <laughs> to make you want to go eat another one. Listen, I've had cricket tacos before. You'll be in Mexico City and be like, yeah. I've had cricket tacos before in Texas. It doesn't taste like this. Give me a real cricket taco. And they'll just get some dirt and put it on the taco for you. <laughs> well, gosh. That's uh, well, if Jean Triplehorn shows up, it oh, won't yeah. be so bad. Whatever happened to her? She's still working. Still, I saw her at a party recently, actually. I tell you, I saw her someplace. Because sometimes I get invited to... You know, do a couple things, catering mostly. And uh, <laughs> she was there, still radiant, still radiant. But that movie, she moved me in that movie she did. 
She needs a lot like, of I wouldn't mind being on a raft with her. And I get terribly seasick. <laughs> so do uh, I. <laughs> it's, it's troublesome. How did you get to see the trash thing, though? You just flew over it, or did you make yeah. a special trip? No, I didn't make a special you trip. You can see it from the plane. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. And that's one of three or something, right? There's two two of them, three of them? I'm not sure how many there are. trash things, and they break into little pellets, and they go to the bottom of the sea, and the fish eats them, and then we eat them, and it's all done. We're done. Oh, gosh, somebody's got to come along. Okay, so then you had a, a photo there of you uh, with Albert Jesus, yes. who we were talking about before. Claimed one of the greatest filmmakers, documentary filmmakers, mm-hmm. filmmakers of any kind. Yep. And uh, responsible for the salesman, he and his brother. Yes. Salesman, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite, all-time favorite films. It is, mine too. Uh, a beautiful, and uh, a Grey Gardens, of course. Yes. Lots of people know about that one. Give me shelter. Give me shelter. There you go. Great ones. Yep. He also and he's, documented the Beatle when they first came to the U.S. I, I and he's still going. He's still out there doing. Just did something with the Streb, Elizabeth Streb, out there. He also uh, did the Shine a Light thing. He was one of the cameramen for Shine a Light with the Martin Scorsese thing. But his body of work that hasn't been released. I mean, I have a lot of the DVDs. These I was. He was kind enough to give them to me. But like. All the stuff he did with Jesse Norman and Quentin um, Marsalis and all those things. Just beautiful. And he's got... A, how did you come to meet him? I actually met him at the Hammer. Uh, oh, when, interesting. Yeah, when you... Um, when they had filmed uh, the Marlon Brando interview that he did. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I fell in love with them immediately because the sound the sync went off with the sound during the filming and he just went ballistic. <laughs> Jesus Christ, what the hell? God, can't people get their shit together? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, that little curmudgeon, I love him. <laughs> but um, I met him there and hit it off instantly and yeah, still close with him now. Go visit him almost every time I'm in New York City. And he has a center now that he, he does. He and his son runs runs his family runs it. I guess. Yes, he has a daughter too. He's got two daughters, two, two lovely daughters. <laughs> two lovely daughters. That did the Grey Gardens book for him. Great. Yeah, they also have done artwork for. Anthropology. They continue to profit off of that when all these other people make things from it, the musical or whatever else. But they don't. Re- I don't think they really look to profit off. Of no, I don't mean that. That's yeah, the, yeah. the goal. But I. It, it, but so you know, many they did the, no. Made. But they've done the book and and then. Sarah and Rebecca are talented in their own way, yes. so they they do their own art. So it's not directly linked to like, like Grey Gardens and stuff. So. Right. And Philip, his son, um, works closely with them at the Film Institute. It's called the Maisel Center. Or is it? I think it's the Maisel Film Institute, but maybe, maybe it's, it's, film, cha- it, maybe no, it's you, changed to the Film you Center. You would you sure. you would probably know. No, you probably. And that's know. up in, up in Harlem. <laughs> yes. And they do great programs for for youth and and yep. and everybody, I guess. A lot of outdoor things. Mm-hmm. Anyhow. And so have you seen, you saw him on this trip? I haven't seen him on this trip. I hope to see him tomorrow. Well, and then this is just the last one, and I don't mean to harp on the ones that happen to have... It's just these are people I I sort of recognize, so that's why I'm asking about yeah. it. Uh, a lot of folks, you and Kip Malone. Yes. From a TV on the radio. Yes. He seems like a wonderful guy. He is one of the most wonderful guys. He seems like just like a beautiful creature. He is. And I don't know the guy. Just looking at it. But you can see it. You see it. From the inside out, he just... 
Oh, yeah. that's, that's the uh, audio for Shining. <laughs> <laughs> amazing aura, amazing energy. He's a great father. He's a great musician. He's got Just a great, great person. Great beard. I heard he trimmed it recently. Oh my. He's in Los Angeles right now, but yeah. Are you still in touch with him? You're close. He's a family friend. What happened there? Um, I met him. I was introduced to TV on the radio through a mutual friend, and they, you know, Dave Siddick moved out to Los Angeles, and uh, started hanging out with those guys. And Dave loves to cook, and I love to cook. So we, and they always do like a family style dinner. So we were doing that all the time. So I hung out with them when they were making their last um, CD. And yeah, we're just cooking all the time. But like Dave makes excellent pies. He's like a pie master. Like dessert pie or savory yes, pie? Yes, dessert, dessert pie. pies. And he also knows a ton about food. Like if, yeah. And um, he also has his best friend Dave, who's out from Baltimore, that makes excellent fried chicken. Well, that's enough to get you in the door, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> it is. And Kip's a, Kip's a great cook as well. So it was just a really nice way of just becoming friends and, and meeting each other through food and just hanging out. That's a great unifier, isn't it? Yes, it is. Just having it there. At the center. Was it the center of your family, too? Were what? meals a big deal? It was a huge deal. Yeah, It must have left a, an early impression on you. <laughs> it did, but it was in a it was in a very weird way because my father is not so much about cooking shows and restaurants and all those things. He's very much about just cooking because it tastes good and to feed you. And he also had this really strange rule that I know that he was not able to stick to. But ten dollars, ten minutes, ten people, <laughs> which I think he just like pulled out of his ass. To make a point, because yeah. I, I decided that I was going to cook him a fancy meal one day and had been watching all these shows, and so I concocted a, a recipe, um, and I couldn't, I didn't know where to buy fresh quail. I mean, I, you don't, I, I, didn't, I wouldn't either. Yeah, I, I had no idea where, where I could get any of these ingredients other than like Ralph's or something. So I assume like you have to contact a hunter. Oh, I found a Korean... Um, food store that I'd never been to before and they had a bunch of quails in the deep freezer so I'm sure that they were there for like forever <laughs> since the dawn of time Yeah. and I had all my allowance so I had to save up a bunch of my allowance and I went and I bought this and then I, de I, de I didn't know how to properly debone a bird so I kind of pulled each bone out by hand so I had cut up my hands because I wasn't trying to do it then I had to like walk around my block to look for a brick <laughs> so I could grill Smash it like it, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I did that and I'm I put pulled it all together and I made my dad this um crispy quail with like a mashed potatoes and asparagus and all that so like very for me it was very complicated because it was I was young and I hadn't really had training and sure it's it, like it's not like quail was very popular in my house for dinner items so I gave it to my dad and he kind of looked at it and he kind of ate it and then he came up with this 10 10 10 thing <laughs> I was so upset I went into my room and I started crying because I really loved food and he just poo-pooed me like right bam because he objected to the expense he objected and to the, the expense the 10 minutes the is time. how long it should take to cook it yeah it took me like three hours 
<laughs> he only wants to be able to cook something in 10 minutes. Yeah, and uh, it's pretty limited. And I, get, I could only feed one person with it, so oh, that was completely defeated the, the purpose of his fake motto. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it only made you stronger, didn't it? It did. It, it gave you resolve. To you never cook that, for him again. That's right. <laughs> Well, yeah, we just, we just had to be there. Just had to be at the table. Even if you were just silently staring at each other. Just had to be there. Now, of course, they tend to fall asleep a little bit at the table, so you <laughs> have to get there. The food has to arrive if you're out at a restaurant or something. You know, you go to a restaurant with, with older people or people in your family that are getting on in age, and they have to take many medications and things to keep going. And if the food takes two hours to get there, they're going to be asleep. I've fallen asleep at restaurants between courses. <laughs> Jet lag or something. No. No, just It you just couldn't. took too long. What's, and, uh, what's the problem? Really poor lighting. <laughs> alcohol like, sometimes? No alcohol. I don't even I don't You don't drink. drink alcohol. So it was just sheer boredom. The food wow. was boring. The wow. lighting was bad. And it took too long for courses. And I fell asleep at the table. So if you were a reviewer, it would just have like three of your heads nodding off. <laughs> it would be like awake. <laughs> it would be uh, so and so chef blah 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 has been lauded for being a great um, great champion of seafood in Los Angeles. After many blah blah blah, I've decided to go on my own. Uh, after I got there, z z z z z end of review. <laughs> you didn't even finish it. <laughs> I wouldn't even finish it. Just like your face in a plate of mashed potatoes or something. Pretty much, or like leaning against the pillar that was next to our table. <laughs> well, uh, it seems like to me, and probably to others, that you float, you move uh, through a very specific, very enchanting pool of creative culture. And uh, I don't. It made me think. Do you, if you had a desire to to write something about that, from that perspective, sort of positioning yourself in this moment to. Uh, of, of interacting with these, some of the the folks have gone on. Some some are still very active. If you want to document just this time and, and still get some of their voices out um, uh, through you, not that they're doing okay on their own, but just sort of you're 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 a, you see what I'm saying? Some of my questions just trail off, hoping that you'll jump in. <laughs> I like I'm I'm polite. I like to let you finish. No, this. I know. Don't feel that. Don't feel that way. You think about writing something about that? I do. I, th I think about going back into food and becoming an actual full-time food writer. Um, I find that the food industry, especially with food bloggers, has completely tainted the industry. Mm. Uh, Yelp, Chowhound, all those places. I think that everybody, because of the safety of hiding behind an anonymous voice on the internet, uh, has destroyed a lot of restaurants that could have been great. It's scared a lot of chefs that have been around for 30 years. Yeah. I don't think that they should be having to cower to a food blogger because they threatened to write a bad review. I think that they should be able to challenge it. Uh, Danielle Balud and I were talking once about food bloggers and we and I, you know, he and I both don't like them. But it was the idea that if you own a four-star restaurant and you've been proved to have this, the quality, uh, the service, the food, and all those things to merit that four-star, right? You know why can't you challenge the person that writes a random re review that says, "I went to this restaurant, 
service wasn't that great. I thought the food was a bit salty. Uh, <laughs> right. Dave907, da 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 da. Sure. Well, I want to know who you are. I should be able to write back to you and say, well, could you provide your credentials? Would you let us know what time you ate there and what you ate so we can, you know, challenge that? But it's not like anybody will ever do that because the Food Network, Travel Channel, this whole blow up of like Master Chef, Top Chef, all these things. Makes us makes, all authorities. Yeah, it? it makes us everybody yeah. authorities. And it's one of those things where somebody asked me if I love the internet. I'm like, I love it because I can look up anything I want. I hate it because when I'm talking to somebody, they're an authority on something they Wikipedia five minutes ago. Right. So I'd like to change that a little bit because everybody knows, or maybe they don't know, that if you're a food critic, none of your reviews are biased. Or they are biased. Oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> everybody has their own opinion about food, right. what they like Everybody's and what they don't biased. like. Yes. So you, can, you can't take their review to heart and then automatically go off of that. One of the worst things I ever experienced when I was in New York, when I was coming back a lot, was sitting next to a couple next to me. and I just, Already bad. <laughs> no, it's already bad because I, I, I because I said next to me twice in one sentence. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> it, I just mean in New York, you're always sitting next to somebody. <laughs> Pretty much. I can always read. Personal space, get out of here. But the guy was... Um, going off verbatim what he had heard off of the Food Network when he was trying to critique his meal. Sure. And uh, the other person who was with him was spouting verbatim this review that they had read in the New York Times dining section. And I'm like, can't you guys figure out what you like on your own? Or can't you guys figure out what food sure. is? And the whole term of foodie and food groupie and all these things and I'm like if you don't know where the food comes from if you don't know where it's grown if you don't know how it's prepared or how it should be prepared you don't know food right well and there's also the, the idea and we don't have to go too much longer on this but the fact that you go in there ready to criticize yeah I and mean, then when we would go out as kids or just as young people I mean until I even clued into some of these things that are out there I didn't go to a meal waiting to see if it met up with any expectations. You went, you had the meal, and you had the conversation. And that's, it was a success if you had a nice time talking to somebody, if you got a few jokes in. Exactly. And the food was there, and it was the thing that was the method by which, you know, the, 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 the means to an end. It brought us everybody together. And you didn't think, well, that was a little bit this way, or this was not as good as I had hoped based on my... So it, it that has changed, and I, I don't think for the better. I, I prefer going in and... Yeah, you know, having a, and when it's a great meal, by all means, it's the best. I think going to, going someplace and not having expectations, you might have an idea of what it might taste like in your mind, but when it comes to you and you're surprised by it, and food still surprises you because it can taste a certain way, yep. that's the best part. Because if you start getting bored of the way it is, food brings you no joy. Yeah. So why go out and eat? Let me tell you, I would go in San Francisco when I lived out there. I'd go on my lunch break from a little place, and I worked at a little frame store, and I would walk. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know the... I just moved there. Walked up the street, little family-run organization, little restaurant. You could tell. The kid was studying in the back, you know, a little TV set up, and the mother and the father would run the thing. And uh, they, they brought out a, a... I didn't know what to order, so I picked something just based on 
instinct. This little nergata, they call it. And a sizzling beef thing that they brought inside it. It was ridiculous. It was the most, like, it was very showy. I just wanted to sneak in there and get some wine. There's a big thing, and it's like, they got so excited that they were making. And every time I came back, they said, nergata, nergata. They got excited for me to have it again. Yeah. So one, I was trapped into having it every time I went there. But I don't know whether it was good or bad, but to me it was fantastic because here I felt like part of the family. Yeah. And it was delicious. Yeah. And I came to crave that because I craved that experience. And, and that's, also, the, that's yeah. the best kind of thing that can happen. It is. And also when you, you know, in a lot of these big restaurants that people go to, you don't really get that interaction with the chef, so you can't feed off of their energy or their enthusiasm. I once did um, a small video of uh, the Sushi Nazi Nozawa in Los Angeles with my friend David Gelb. And spending time with him, you think that that man doesn't smile, you think that he's very mean. He, I think he's thrown out Carl Reiner, he's thrown yeah. out a lot of people well. <laughs> for using their cell phones in the store asking for California rolls and stuff. And he's, he's breaking down a bunch of lobster and he's kind of like tossing the heads aside and I'm like what are you doing what are you doing best part best part and he and then he goes yeah I know it's the best part but Americans they don't want to eat that they just want the tail meat and I just went can I have it and he looked at me and he gave me a big smile he goes oh sure 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 <laughs> and um you know throughout the filming we just kept on talking about food and stuff and he's just getting really excited because I'm like no I eat that I love that and he goes oh you have to come and eat at the restaurant I'm like yes you will make me anything I will eat anything <laughs> and you just, you just get really excited because it's like the chef knows what's good sure he's been doing it for so long and he just wants to find an audience that will be open enough to share in that enthusiasm and that experience and just eat it and at least try it right yeah, and so I went after the after the interview. I went back to um, David's house and broke down all the lobster heads he gave me, and we just ate lobster rolls, lobster head rolls at the house. <laughs> I think passed out. <laughs> What's the quality of the lobster head? Delicious. It's the brown. I think they call it the tamale. Sometimes the roe is in there, but it's just rich and unctuous and full of cholesterol. Oh, wow. It's delicious. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I should note that, uh, of course, I always uh, talk about this, what we're pairing the podcast with today, sometimes it's uh, uh, an alcoholic beverage. Today, it's quite early. And so we're having some Stumptown uh, coffee, and you're having... Uh, hot chocolate. Hot chocolate, which uh, had the nice foam heart on the top of it, that done by a regular barista who knows what they're doing. That's right. They went to barista that, college that, to make that. They did. They won some kind of competition and or some kind of stressful interview. And you gave me a bar of chocolate. Chocolone. Chocolonely. Tony's Chocolonely. Is that what I'm saying? Tony's Chocolonely. Yeah, Chocolonely. And what do you say about this? Milk. It's milk chocolate, yes. And it has a sticker on the left-hand side. And uh, it says it's 100% slave-free chocolate. Oh, there, there, there's some some kind of a difficult situation with people making chocolate. I guess slaves are still making chocolate someplace in the world. <laughs> okay. Um, this particular chocolate was I was first introduced to it when we moved to Amsterdam, and Tony started the company, and it was a free trade company, and he suddenly discovered that some of his suppliers, I guess, weren't free trade, 
Ah. So he went to the courts, as one does, sure. to the authorities, and biked over. And uh, he biked over there, and he reported it. He reported his own company, and instead of giving Tony a pat on the back and saying, you know, if you sort this stuff out, it'll be fine, yeah. no worries. They arrested him and sent him to jail. Oh my gosh. And while he was in jail, the copyright for his company had opened up because it wasn't renewed. He wasn't able to renew it and somebody else bought it. So Tony no longer owns his own company. Well, the guy's in jail? I don't think he's in jail anymore. But uh, Is he involved in the company at all? No. He lost the company well, because kind of <laughs> he got that's sent a to jail. sad story for doing what's right. What's the lesson? <laughs> don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Keep it to yourself. Yeah, I don't think so. All right. Well, the book is going gangbusters. Yes. Uh, it's it's an indispensable guide to Los Angeles. Um, you know, I think a lot of people in in, in other parts of the country. They like, especially San Francisco. I'm talking about San Francisco. Okay. <laughs> they like to put LA down, don't they? Oh, yeah. They don't think much of it. Neither does New York. Well, I don't know. I think that I think it's come up a little bit. Why do you think that was, that people were so down in Los Angeles? Because they think they're that scared. we're a bunch of laid-back hippies. <laughs> I think it's too much. Too much driving. They can't walk to their coffee place. Too many juicy couture tracksuits. Oh, well, there's that <laughs> element, too, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> but your book is changing that, I think. One I think person so. at a time, every purchase means somebody has become a convert to Los Angeles because you talk about it in such a good way. And you, you've offered up so many parts of the cities to say, hey, listen, we're, we're more than that. We're more than that just Beverly Hills sign and some palm trees and the fake this and that. You know what I'm saying? But it's, easily, but it's easy to think that Los Angeles isn't a great city. And reality shows have kind of done that bad bad news events that have happened from OJ to Rodney King to God knows what. Sure. Um, earthquakes. It has a history. It's not all, yeah. always living up to our expectations. Mudslides in Malibu. But it's a very international <laughs> city, isn't it? It's a very international city. I mean, you go other places in the world and you think, gosh, this is like It's a, it's a like huge hodgepodge of almost every culture in the world you can find in Los Angeles. And the great thing about it is because it's so big and so spread out that they've been able to build up their own little neighborhoods to make it uh, unique to their culture. It's, it's just remarkable. And uh, uh, and you got some great experts in here, too. Yes. You got, uh, and uh, you know, you included a producer of mine. Mm -hmm. I don't know expert as being generous, but he, I know he, he liked Los Angeles. Uh, Bewley's in here, Mr. Bewley. He looks good in a suit. Looks good in a suit. I wish I looked as good as he does in a suit. But uh, uh, now I notice here, page nine, that you thank all the all the contributors, all the experts. Yes. But you excluded him from the list. No and way. And so I wonder if you just weren't happy with what he gave you. I mean, I read it. It's okay. It's all right. It's that not a big. That is awful. My my editor was supposed to. He was in charge of all the copyright. Well, that, for that. that person's fired because I'm. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> that's horrible. No, it's fine. It's but you're fine. on the back of the book. Isn't that even no, better? No, that's even better because that's where people look yeah, for it. Yeah, you're like wedged in between Gary Baseman and Flea from the Red Hot Chili Well, you say me, but I mean, it's, it's oh, really you're, you're Yes. He's, a, he's out there. I know. We you know we sometimes are confused you, for one another. You guys, another. Look, up, you guys <laughs> look like you could be twin We're brothers. charming in the same way. Were there any surprise? Did you go check all these places out, by the way? Pretty much, yes. Holy mackerel, that's a lot of driving. Do you have a special car for that? Um, a gremlin. <laughs> 
that would have been spectacular. No, Document that. that. Oh, I think it was, put a, it, in there. it was a Hyundai most of the time. Well, those are good and reliable cars. Uh, any surprises in here? What was your biggest surprise? I'm sure there were surprises. You thought, oh, I had never heard about that. Or something that you overlooked? I think there were a few things that I overlooked. But, but I mean that you had personally overlooked that somebody else brought to life. You said, oh, I never, never thought about that. That any of my contributors? Or is it just too, too, too vast to even go into that kind of minutiae? I don't know. In all honesty, when I was growing up in Los Angeles, I loved it, but I also hated it. Yeah. It's always been a love and hate thing for me. With I think LA. that is part of the city, though. Yes, it is. I think that's part of the experience. And um, I guess the more time I spent in New York, no offense to New York, every time I went back home, I loved it a bit more. Because when I come here, it's so it's just everybody seems to be needing to be somewhere, though I know that they don't need to be there. It's, it's, it's that kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah. Where in L.A., I can just decompress and just figure my shit out. You can say you're going to be there, then you don't have to go. Yeah, that's right. I'm stuck in traffic. <laughs> that's what people say. Not but every but everything but everything about the city, from the, even the places that I knew to the places that I discovered, were just amazing. I didn't realize how rich the history of the city was. I didn't realize that downtown LA was once like a mini France. I didn't realize how many <laughs> French uh, immigrants had gone there to become farmers. I didn't under, I didn't realize that that winemaking was such a big part of Los Angeles's history. Well, it was still a kind of cobbled together people finding their way it at is. that point too. But I don't communists think people, on the hill yeah. and we were running little communist bookstores and all that stuff. Early gay life had a rich history there. Did all the movie movie star stuff and how Beverly Hills wasn't popular. Nobody wanted to live in Beverly Hills in the beginning. <laughs> it yeah, it was all downtown. Everybody wanted to live in downtown Hancock Park, Pasadena. And even Pasadena, the history there, the architecture, just the building up of the city to what it is. And even though when people come, they only think Hollywood sign, Hollywood, Paris Hilton, Kim Kardashian, all that garbage. I think we're starting to forget Paris Hilton now. I feel that she's slipping. I feel it's okay. I hope I I can forget her a bit more. You can take her off the list. It'll be okay. But it's... It's such a wonderful city. It's got so much to offer. I mean, I love the Bat Cave. I love how Charles Bronson's stage name came from Bronson Avenue. I love that. It's one thing to like yeah. about it. Jet Propulsion <laughs> Lab is there. You can go sure. with your family. I love that the Endeavor's there now. I mean, my dad made it a point to take us around Los Angeles when we were a little kid, from fishing on the pier to going walking around uh, Broadway. So he was the first person that made L.A. an adventure and showed me how big it was. But through this book is when I realized just how much was in all that space. And I'm in Amsterdam now, but I'm always thinking about L.A. Actually, it's amazing how these early things, how our family shapes us, isn't it? Yeah, good job, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) You think, because at some point it was like, we're not talking, and now here you go, influenced. Yeah, totally. wonderful. It's wonderful. My dad's an influencer. He's an influencer. As they say. <laughs> He's pushed things forward in the way that they do. Yeah. And uh, you, you have a good time with the wedding? Did you have a big fancy wedding? No, I didn't. No? City Hall. City Hall, simple. Yeah. I would have guessed that. Honestly, I would have guessed it. Yeah. 
So you don't have any uh, intention to do a, a wedding book. You have another idea? To, I mean, this seems so much you that it's not like you're going to go do Cleveland next. I would thousand. do Cleveland. I love Cleveland. <laughs> no, every, every Cleveland's <laughs> fine. I just mean that this is, this, this is talking to you now. I get the sense that it's a much more personal uh, endeavor than you might think would be behind a guidebook of things to do in Los Angeles if you saw it on the shelf. Yes. But this is really written by somebody who cares about it. Mm-hmm. And maybe others are too. I don't know. I haven't talked to anybody else that wrote one of these things. But don't talk, don't talk if, to them. It's not as if you're in line to do like guidebooks for every other city. This is a, a no. personal effort. And I could do one for Amsterdam, but the, I think there'd maybe be a hundred things to do. <laughs> and every other one might be a weed shop. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll find plenty of experts <laughs> to help you in that too. Um, well, that's great. Um, and I do want to get you over to the Gowanish. I think you really need to get up close. There's a lot happening over there. I will it's, go. It's not quite. It's not quite Amsterdam, but it's 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 coming up. Mm-hmm. And get to it before it's ruined. Okay. You know, like see how it is now. There's some. If you need some tips, I'll be happy to give them uh, to you. So uh, uh, I think that's the end of our time, Joy. I had such a great. A great conversation with you, and I loved finding out a little bit more about you and some of your experiences. And uh, thank you for having me. I hope you enjoy the rest of your time in New York. Thank you. And uh, now I'm going to just do my my business here. I need to remind people that the next Dale Radio Live is happening Monday, October 21st at 8 p.m. back at Union Hall. And uh, we're your best bet for entertainment on the third Monday of every month. We'll be right there. And we have a great lineup uh, in October. It's Ladies' Night. At Dale Radio. Dale loves it's, the ladies. It's always ladies. As we welcome four very funny comedians and performers. Ophira Eisenberg is going to be there. Leah Bonima and the Reductress founders. Uh, Sarah Papalardo, I hope I'm saying that right, and Beth Newell. Uh, it's a lot of fun for five bucks. So come on out. Check out DaleRadio.com. Uh, and they've got advanced tickets on there. And all the info you need for that or any other show. Now, till next time, I'll be peddling my own line of Krona-infused whiskey. Now, let's get back to that great music that we all enjoy. <laughs> <laughs>